going in three, two, one. Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. For the last two podcasts, we've been celebrating the birthday, 20 years, of the Innocence Project of Florida based in Tallahassee. Seth Miller, executive director, <clears throat> excuse me, was our guest along with Dean McKee, who spent 30 years in prison in the state of Florida from the age of 16 for a crime he never committed. But today we have a guest, also a client of the Innocence Project of Florida, Stephanie Spurgeon, and I welcome her with open arms, and she was wrongfully convicted of a crime for, and spent 8.5 years in a Florida prison. She has her own story, and she is eager to share it with us. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Harriet. I really appreciate you having me on your show today. So let me start by telling you, my name is Stephanie Spurgeon and I was arrested for capital felony murder. Often when I say that, people think that maybe I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, maybe with the wrong people or doing the wrong things. But what if I were to tell you that I was exactly where I was supposed to be doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing? What if I were to tell you that no crime ever even occurred? It kind of makes you wonder how something like that can happen. So before I tell you my story, it'd probably be a good idea for me to give you a little bit of background and tell you who I was. I was a married mother of two, and I was a Girl Scout leader, a Cub Scout master, crime watch chair. You know, I just lived the normal life that everybody lives. Um, and I had a licensed in-home daycare for 15 years. Absolutely loved it. So one day I took a little girl by the name of Maria Harris. Her mom was 17 years old and it was her very first day of daycare in my home. We had a very normal day. And after she left my home, I had her for an eight hour day. She became unresponsive. They took her to the hospital and she was diagnosed there as abusive head trauma. They charged me with capital felony murder, which is punishable by life in prison or by death. So I went to trial and I ended up getting acquitted of murder, but I was found guilty of manslaughter and I was sentenced to 15 years in prison. I got to prison and um, I, was, I was angry. I felt like that the system had failed me and um, I tried to figure out what I could do to advocate for myself. So I started writing all different types of innocence organizations to try to find somebody out there that could help me. I got very lucky and I was able to get three innocence projects. I got the Florida Innocence Project. I got the Exoneration Project out of Chicago, Illinois. And I got the Center for Integrity in Forensic Science out of Madison, Wisconsin. So all three of them teamed up and defended me. That's amazing because usually you don't even get one, right? right. You, got, you got three. 
Wow. I did. So why? Why did they team up and defend me? Well, what they learned through reviewing my case was that Maria actually died of an undiagnosed metabolic disorder. Her glucose levels were 468, and she was in diabetic ketoacidosis. I think it's probably important to put in here that Maria had no external injuries on her. So it, all of the issues were within her brain, but that tends to happen when you have diabetes. It changes the way your blood coagulates and it was a thickening in her veins and it she had what they called a sagittal sinus thrombosis in the back of her neck and it blocked those blood vessels that went into her brain and emptying out it was um it was tragic um but nobody hurt maria so how did they find this out well they had um found six medical experts that all would testify in my defense pro bono because they believed in my innocence. Um, it took five long years, but eventually my case was overturned in the second DCA and I was granted a new trial. I was released in prison in 2020 after eight and a half years. And I became the first woman that the Florida Innocence Project has ever freed on a wrongful conviction. That's right. What, why the space, Stephanie? Uh, you said um, you were you were there for five years, but you served eight point five. Was that the trial or what? Well, they it took years for them to take my case. Oh, and they fought on it for five years. So in totality, I did eight and a half on my fifteen year sentence. I see. Yeah. What was so, the what was the trial like, and how how long did it last? Oh, the trial. Um, it was an evidentiary. the The original trial, Harriet, are you talking about, or or do you mean when the Innocence Project became involved? When the Innocence Project became involved. Well, you know, it's it's peaks and valleys when you're trying to overcome a wrongful conviction. The wheels of justice turn very slowly. Um, we went for an evidentiary hearing and um, ultimately that judge denied my claims. So mm -hmm. then we had to appeal it in the second DCA and um, that's where it was overturned. Now, why do you understand why the judge denied your claim? Uh, no, to be honest with you, I, I don't, um, I kind of feel like all of them are in the same courtroom. You know, they all golf at the same golf course. They all are together at the same country club. Our, our system just, um, it doesn't work. It, it needs a whole lot of work. Yeah, that we know. Yeah. Um, so after it was denied, what, 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 what role did the Innocence Project of Florida play? Right. Well, let me start by telling you, like, I know that it was countless hours of research. Mm -hmm. It must have taken them an immense amount of time. Um, it was extremely emotional case because you were dealing with the death of a child. And that's very difficult for anybody to, you know, be involved with. Um, and it was also very medically encompassed. You know, they had to learn a lot in the medical field in order to defend me. 
but they were able to find the best experts in all different fields, endocrinology, um, pathology, uh, geneticists. They found all these different experts and the experts were able to break it down into lay terms so that all of us could then understand what really happened to Maria. And, you know, the thing about the innocence organizations is even when the wrongfully convicted person wants to give up, when you just feel like there's nothing left and, and, you know, you've, you've hit one brick wall after another brick wall and, you know, one denial after another, they never give up. They never gave up on me, even though I wanted to give up. And that really speaks volume for somebody that's in there on a wrongful conviction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, what about the the um, evidence presented to the jury? You said it was broken down in lay terms. Um, did you did you learn a great deal as this the experts were testifying? Uh, I did. Well? Yeah, just trying to break it down with um, you know presenting like brain slides and, and explaining what would normally take place in abusive head trauma case and what was not present in Maria, like things didn't add up. Um, the things that the hospital did wrong that maybe could have saved her life. Um, a lot of times when children go in, I think the system, and, and rightfully so, we, we want to protect children, but I think a lot of people, they they start the snowball effect of just assuming things are wrong. And then once they get that going, it's hard to undo. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just what happened in my case. Well, they call that confirmation bias. And I've talked a lot about that on this show, that when Maria was brought in, the, I guess their bias or their leaning towards was shaken baby syndrome. And, and well, they the, have that triad of symptoms, the mm -hmm. um, cerebral edema, which is brain swelling, subdural hematomas, and retinal hemorrhaging. And when you hear retinal hemorrhaging, your eyes are actually severed. So it, it mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's obviously, it's a horrible thing to hear. And, and then immediately you're thinking there's abuse, but there is many and many other diseases, viruses, and illnesses that cause these same type of symptoms. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that somebody hurt or, or killed anybody. And I think one of the big telltale signs is when there's no external injuries, the biomechanics just don't match. We had a biomechanical engineer that testified a whole lot on those mechanics. Now, why would initially, why would the hospital medical doctors familiar with, as you say, there are many possibilities why did they not zero in on something medical instead of something criminal? I wish I knew. Mm. I that it was um, just misdiagnosis. They simply just did not do their jobs. Yeah. And you paid for it. I did. I did. But I'd like to tell you a little bit about what the Florida Innocence Project did for me. Oh, the, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Project has a social therapist by the name of Anthony Scott. And 
Anthony is, um, he's superhero. So it's my understanding that not every organization has a social therapist. And I think that it should absolutely be a requirement because it was my lifeline. So I'd like to tell you a little bit about what he did for me. He would come and see me every month inside. He came and see me and it gave me a safe place to go where I could open up. He understood where I came from because he's used to working with wrongfully convicted people. We've got a lot of back feedback there. Can you guys hear that? Yes. That's not on my end. I can't. It sounds like somebody cleaning yard. Yeah. It's that's me. Okay. Is that interfering? It is. It is. Oh boy. We'll see if this if they get done here quick. We'll just pick it up about where uh, Stephanie was talking about what she got from the innocent. I, I think they just they're going away. They're they're here for a short bit and then they're gone. All right. There we go. Okay, go ahead. Okay, hold on one second. Okay, sure, we'll sure. Count you down one or three, two, one again, and then we'll pick it up where Stephanie mentioned what the Innocence Projects did for her. Okay. All right. All right, here we go. Going in three, two, one. Anthony helped me manage my anxiety. He provided tools for me being able to like self-regulate my feelings and what I was going through, especially in that prison atmosphere. And he helped me be a better me. Um, he also assisted my family. Um, I left a mom, a brother, and children. I was taken away from them, and I left them behind. And to this day, he still spends time talking to my daughter, which has helped her True. tremendously. How old How old were your children at the time, Stephanie? Um, they were 15. No, I'm sorry. Like 13 and 17. So When, I, when I, you went in. Yeah. Yes. Oh when um when I came home, Anthony was with me every step of the way, from getting me my social security card and driver's license to getting me a college scholarship. He helped me set up. Um, I went with like other organizations, and he helped set up how to get like dental work done, how to get my taxes done. He helped assist in getting a job coach and health insurance. And he truly made my transition so much easier. Because of him, I'm now working as a legal assistant in a law firm. So he is just detrimental to me being able to reintegrate into society. That's fantastic. That's yeah. I, I, I know that not very many, we have 70 approximately innocence projects around the world and including, of course, the United States and very few have social workers like Anthony. Yes. He, like I said, he's absolutely there. There's nothing I can say other than superhero. He is just, he's fantastic. He's my biggest cheerleader and I could not have done it without him. Sounds that way. Were there other staff that were um, also instrumental in 
helping you well, inside of and was <laughs> Seth started as a stranger <laughs> then he became my attorney and then he became my friend and right. now he feels like family to be honest with you that's great so you probably wonder like what what am i doing today like how has my life changed um i can tell you that i advocate for the wrongfully convicted um i love to travel around and speak with seth miller the mm. executive director of the innocence project I really enjoy that time with him and educating other people so that they can learn about our cause. I'm also involved with other innocence organizations and I network with them a lot. I started a book, you which did. is very oh, slow going, but but I, I am working on it slowly with my daughter. Oh, so my. hopefully that'll come to pass before long. And my daughter and I started our own little podcast. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah, it's called Freedom Fighters, but, you know, we're not very technically savvy. Our studio. So that's where we sit and we haven't done a whole lot on it, but, you know, we pick around at it. We really like it. That's terrific. Now, yeah. your book, what will it concentrate on? Um, It is going to tell the story, but... I want it to be a little bit different than the other books out there on the shelf. So I have kind of a different little strategy in mind and I'm hoping that that may help um, people see things from different perspectives and how something like this, a tragic event can take place and how everybody's emotions get entangled in this web and then what it takes to prevail at the end. Right. I have a question for you, given you had absolutely zero experience with the justice system. What in the world was it like to find yourself in prison? Devastating. That's the word that comes to mind. I was petrified. I didn't know anybody who had ever gone to prison or, or jail for that matter. I was a stay at home mom. I went in singing nursery rhymes and had to learn to adapt very quickly. When I entered the system, I was in a maximum security prison and that, um, that was very different um, from the life that I had led. I eventually was able to make my way to a, um, um, a faith and character-based camp. And so once I got there, it was much calmer um, I actually made a lot of friends, friends that I'm still in contact with today. So it was just a much better environment and it was way safer. I don't, I'm not familiar with that. Can you explain what mm. that is? Yeah, the, the men have a lot of them. They're called incentive camps, but the women don't. We only have one in the state of Florida and it was based at Hernando Correctional Institution. Um, since then, they've done away with it. And I don't believe that they have one for the women now. And uh, let me explain a little bit of the differences. Like mm. they claim that they have a faith and character-based program, which they do, but it's encompassed within these prison systems, like a maximum security prison. So they have a yard that they've basically roped off and they say that housing and, and that area is a faith and character-based program, which it is, but it's a whole lot different from having a program within a maximum security prison than having 
of faith and character based compound because when you have the compound you have free movement it's safer the officers treat you different your your food is different it's an incentive camp you have to qualify to be able to go there through Tallahassee through your behavior no and, tickets right yeah so yeah no drs right <laughs> and um the women don't have one now they've taken it away and it's very sad the men have many camps but the women do not i wonder why so yeah. why was that such a besides what you've already said um what what about that um particular place was so much better for you well, to begin with, there was, it wasn't all cement. There was trees, there was grass, mm. there was birds. Mm. So it, it had a whole different feel to mm -hmm. it. Um, there wasn't a gun tower with people pacing really? back and forth looking. Yeah, because it was a medium security prison. So the Big requirements difference. were different, right? And the officers went through a little bit different training. So they didn't scream obscenities to you. They treated you more like people. It was just an overall totally different atmosphere. And I believe that the women should also have a facility like the men do. And Oh, absolutely. How, how many women were in that? You call it a camp? Yeah, I'm thinking around 300. I'm not uh, exactly sure, but I'm thinking about 300. So um, yeah, it was very small. That makes a big, big difference. Yeah, it does big big difference yeah that that's really it's very sad to think they had something therapeutic i would right. call it and then you know anything good somehow disappears in the in the criminal justice system right it does unfortunately it does. yes so you're how long have you been out now i came home in 2020 but again i was facing a new trial Mm -hmm. And in 2021, I made a gut-wrenching decision to plea out with an Alfred plea, which means that I maintained my innocent, but I gave them the conviction. So that's changed my life dramatically. And um, I told myself that once I made that decision, I was not going to look back and second guess that decision. It has made my journey a bit harder. But after really learning everything that I did and, and, and having that time with my family, it simply was not worth me taking the risk of being wrongfully convicted again. Um, I just believe that our system needs way more work. Doctors, attorneys, everybody needs a whole different way of looking at things in order for cases like mine to prevail. It, now, the Alfred plea, I'm very familiar with it, but I, I'm guessing listeners are not. Can you be a little more specific about what's involved in taking an Alfred plea? Yeah, it just basically means that I, I maintain my innocence, but I give them the conviction over me so that that it it solidifies my case. That means it's over. I, I didn't have to fight anymore. I was mm -hmm. simply just so tired of fighting but it, it gives them the conviction. So, so are you labeled? Do you have a label? I am. I am a convicted felon of manslaughter. Right. That, that's what I think people need to understand, that you are actually innocent, but seen as a felon. Which and is those pleas happen all so often with people in my situation. Um, you just, it, it's a tiresome fight. 
it's yeah. lots of resources, lots of time. Um, you know, your children are getting older. You've already, I missed 10 years with my grandbabies. Every birthday I missed, every holiday I missed my daughter getting married, the birth of my grandchildren. It's just, it became not worth it. I, no. I think I came to the conclusion that those that believe in me are always going to believe in me. And those that don't, I was just simply tired of trying to prove it. Right. Exactly right. How how much contact were you able to have with your children while you were inside? Were you well, near near enough? Every month, yes. You were. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was very were, nice. They were able to, especially at that place, the camp, which was less, um, you know, strict. Yeah, everything. So better atmosphere for you. Well, right. we, we only have a couple minutes left, and um, it's been so wonderful to have you on the podcast and be able to share your story with listeners to help them understand how these mistakes are made and what it costs. It costs. Yeah, I would like to leave our listeners with, with this thought that, yes. you know, you never know what turn your life is going to make. And my journey taught me to embrace every moment in life because tomorrow is simply not promised. And there, there are many innocent people still trapped within. So I urge all of our listeners today to, to become more familiar with wrongful convictions, to donate to Innocence Projects like the Florida Innocence Project, because if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. How true. Yes, that's a great... Great thought to leave our listeners with. And I, I say it too, that I, I encourage people wherever they are to donate to their project because there should be one practically in every single state. So ours is www.floridainnocence.org. And our next guest will be the esteemed director of the Innocence Project of Florida, Seth Miller. He was with us at the beginning of the month uh, to open up our birthday celebration, and he will be here to close it next time on Pursuing Justice. So thank you once again, Stephanie, for your time and your story, and we wish you well. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Pursuing Justice. And we are clear.